is the creator and sustainer of all the worlds, whether those worlds are known or unknown to mankind. Does not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice? Hello, everybody. My name's Charlie. You might know me better as sci fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset. You may hear a little bit of thunder in the background. Today is just one of those days. And on today, we will be talking about the cosmological function of myth, continuing our five part study, kind of an introduction into what is mythology and how does it get used today we're going to start with a quote from joseph campbell's myths of light the second function of mythology is to present an image of the universe that connects the transcendent to the world of everyday experience this is something that i feel a lot of people miss when they are reading a sacred story. And it's something that I stress a lot. For example, you know, every time I talk about the whole argument over historicity, I immediately go to this, the cosmological function of mythos. Because if this is absent, if this doesn't occur, then it, it doesn't matter whether something really happened. Did George Washington chop down a cherry tree? Historically, no. Historically, George Washington never chopped down a cherry tree. He was never asked by his father, did you chop that down and say, I cannot tell a lie, I chopped down that cherry tree. That never happened, historically. Mythologically, it's a very powerful story because it's telling us about a quality that we as Americans want in our leaders. We want them to be honest and even honest about things that they know that they did that were wrong. We don't want a president that equivocates. We don't want a president that covers things up. We want a president that's honest. And that part of the story is so powerfully true that even though the event never happened, we still tell the story today. Now, moving forward, and I do apologize for any of our international listeners, but a lot of this for me is very easy to use American history for, but you go to Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln died on Good Friday. And thus becomes very symbolic as the man who was sacrificed for the sins of the nation. Was he actually sacrificed for the sins of the nation? No. He was shot. He was shot by some Confederate sympathizers who thought that they could reignite the Civil War and that because Lincoln wasn't in power anymore and they thought Andrew Jans Johnson was weak, they would be able to just 
you know, win this time, which didn't happen. But the story, the impact that this had on the country changed the way we even speak about the country. Prior to these events, we always said these United States. Now we say the United States. We stopped seeing the country as a plurality of states and started seeing it as a unified country. That's the effect this event had. And so, in a way, you could say, yes, Abraham Lincoln was sacrificed for the sins of the country and that in his death, the country found new life. You can bring all of that meaning to it if you want to. You don't have to. That's fine. But you can see all of that there. And all of that is there in a story that actually happened. My point being, whether or not the events of Genesis occurred, whether or not there was a historical Abraham, there is an Abraham. He is the father of the three great monotheistic religions, and all three look to this figure and find meaning and power in his life. Whether or not there was a historical figure doesn't matter. It really doesn't, because the impact of this life, real or imagined, it doesn't matter. And so quibbling over that is quibbling over something that has no point because it's in the impact that his life has. For example, it's in Abraham that we see this cosmological function really play out in that he sees the three men and he recognizes them as angels come to talk and he bows to them and he immediately provides them with food and hospitality. Hospitality being a main, major, major theme of the Torah and all of the Hebrew scriptures, really. And this shows us our place in the universe. It tells us cosmologically, you never know when you might be entertaining angels unaware. You just don't know. Who is a messenger of God? You don't know. Who is an agent of the Lord? You don't know. You don't always know. It's not always apparent. So maybe you should just treat everyone as though they are. And that, when you really look at it, is the first level that we talked about yesterday, that mystical function. The cosmological function illustrated in this story in particular shows us that God cares so much for us, that the universe cares so much for us, that the agents of creation are active in our lives, whether we realize it or not. That is a powerful, powerful thing. In Thou Art That, Joseph Campbell states this function as follows. The second function of a traditional mythology is interpretive, to present a consistent image 
of the cosmos. That's in fact saying the same thing from a slightly different point of view. So if the point here is for it to present an image of the universe that connects the transcendent to the world of everyday experience, it also has to provide a consistent image of the cosmos. Now this is so vitally important to us because the world in and of itself is chaotic and is not consistent. It is the story that we tell that adds consistency to it. And whether you're religious or not, you tell a story to make a consistent view of the world. And so when we are examining our beliefs, when we're examining our philosophical basis for accepting various events or judging various events, what we are really doing is smoothing out those wrinkles in the fabric of the reality around us so that we can, in fact, see the world as it is and as it should be simultaneously. In The Pathway to Bliss, Joseph Campbell says, the second function of mythology is to present an image of the cosmos, an image of the universe roundabout that will maintain and elicit an experience of all. This function we, can, we call the cosmological function of mythology. So in this third definition, he tells us that it should instill us with awe. You can see this in a secular way if you watch the original cosmos with its billions and billions of stars and its constant statement that you, meaning you and I, are star stuff. That is presenting this image of the universe that is meant to keep us in a state of awe. And that is how we cope with the state of the world. The world is an expansive, beautiful, mind-bogglingly gorgeous place. In its chaos, in its foaming, in its fomenting, we can get lost very easily in that chaos. We can get lost very easily in the strangeness, in the otherness of the world. What we gain from this method of looking at the world through stories is finding out our place, our connection. How does this affect me? How should this affect me? Going back to the story that we've been using throughout the study, Jesus walking on the water, we see Jesus on the water. We see Peter getting out of the boat. We see all of this. And we kind of talked about this a little yesterday when we were looking at the mystical function. But here, really, we're put in awe of the world as it is. Because the thunder claps. The clouds roll. The storm comes. The awe that the apostles have for the storm is present. They're afraid that the boat will sink. They're afraid the boat will flounder and that they will 
be lost on the Sea of Galilee. The world is a hostile place. Yet in the midst of it, here comes Jesus walking across the wave-ravaged waters. There is Jesus in the midst of the storm, standing impossibly, as if nothing was happening. And this is the connection between that story and our lives. One of the hardest things for us to realize when we are talking about grand-scale events is that really none of it matters. None of it really has an effect. The writer of the book of Ecclesiastes tells us over and over again, you know, Havel, 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 Havelim, you know, emptiness, emptiness, emptiness of emptiness. You know, everything is, you know, reut rach, you know, it is vexation of spirit. It is a trine of the spirit. Everything is empty. It is empty. And it is in realizing that emptiness that we come to a place of peace. Everything is without inherent existence. Everything is the cause of an effect and the effect of a cause. That is the root nature of the universe. And so while everything has importance in that it would not have caused the things that it caused were it not there, it is also in and of itself empty. It's without importance because without the things that led to it, it would not be. So everything is an effect of previous causes. And it's in realizing this emptiness, in realizing that everything is by nature Havel. And we'll talk about that a lot more in a future episode of the podcast when we do a, a deep dive into the book of Ecclesiastes. But when we realize that everything is emptiness, what we learn to see is exactly what the apostles saw. In the midst of it all, to us, it looks like craziness. In the midst of the mess, in the midst of the storm, it looks like chaos. It looks terrible. Those are judgments that we are applying. In reality, nothing's really happening. The storm is how the earth renews itself. The storm is how the earth gives water to the land. The storm is how heat circulates and keeps from building up too much in one place. The system is just doing what the system does. It doesn't matter whether we want it to do that or not. And in realizing this, and for some of us, it's not as easy as it is for others. But in realizing this, we find that place of peace. We see that connection between the cosmos and our daily life. Why did that earthquake have to happen? Because there was pressure building up on a tectonic plate and the plate slipped. Why does that, did that have to happen? 
because if there wasn't molten magma under the surface of the Earth, then the Earth would be cold. The Earth would not have a magnetic magnetosphere. The Earth would not be able to shield us from the cosmic rays of the sun that would bleach the Earth clean of life. Mm. So that earthquake that took life was part of the system that preserves life. Havel, Havelim. Havel, Havelim. Everything is empty. Everything is impermanent. Everything is the cause of an effect and the effect of a cause. And it doesn't make it okay. That doesn't mean you don't mourn those lost in an earthquake or in a storm. That's not what that means. What it means is when you're asking why, why was this allowed to happen? It means you're asking the wrong question. This happened because it happened. This happened because it is part of a much larger system that supports life. And that, that, that can be really hard to wrap your head around. A giant earthquake that causes a massive tsunami that kills a lot of people. It's really hard in that moment, and it probably doesn't bring peace to anyone who lost loved ones in that. To think that that happened to save lives. In fact, just saying it feels like I am, you know, short-selling the people who died. And I'm not. My heart goes out to them. I have nothing but compassion for them. And I wish it didn't happen. But to ask why it happened is the same reason when we ask why did Lincoln get assassinated? Lincoln died for the sins of his country. Those people died to save the rest of us. They are martyrs for the magnetosphere. And that might sound really strange. And I understand if it does. But when you see these things in, from a cosmic point of view, from a larger point of view. It doesn't mean that you stop trying to find ways to improve tsunami warnings or to you know, predict earthquakes or to mitigate the effects of the earthquake or the tsunami. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means when you ask the question, the question that you should not be asking is why. It happened because it happened. And there's no greater reason to that. Why is there a drought? Why are the storms of life around me? What did I do to deserve this? This is a question we ask ourselves a lot simply to torment ourselves. No, that storm is in, not in your life to punish you. Maybe you did cause it. You shouldn't rule that out out of hand did you upset somebody that then set off this chain reaction if so don't do it again 
ask for forgiveness, try to make amends, and move on. Doesn't mean that you ignore it and just say, well, it happened. No. But that feeling sorry for ourselves that often pops up that really serves no purpose other than to increase our suffering. When we tear a story apart and see its cosmological function, it's putting us in harmony with the universe. It's showing how this affects us in our everyday life. When we look at Jesus on the cross, we see that he is pointing us to the ultimate mystery. There he is on the cross. He sang a song on the cross. I don't know how many people realize that. When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the beginning of the 22nd Psalm. This is a song. This is a song of praise and song of sorrow. He's singing on the cross. And he's dying. He is immortal and he is dying. He is the source of all faith. And in the midst of this, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He stands at the crossroads of all possible contradiction and points us beyond them to the mystery that is there. That is what we see when we look at it from a cosmological point of view. So I invite you to start doing this in your life. I invite you to start looking through the events of your life and the stories that you encounter this way. It will help you to find more meaning in those events and help you understand the stories that are coming at you. This one can be a bit trickier to discern. So be patient and be loving, be calm. Because in the end, it's all good. The world keeps turning. Sometimes we just have to remind ourselves that. At any rate, that's it for us today. I hope this helped you. If this podcast has helped you, help us by spreading the word about us. Let your friends know. Share this podcast on your favorite social networks and let people know what we're doing. If you've missed this or any other episode of Wisdom's Cry, you can go to our website at wisdomscry.com. You can find the full podcast feed there. You can also find the collections that I've been putting together of the podcast by topic. And you can find me and contact me at Wisdom Cries Out on Twitter or at the website. You can find links to our Facebook page and everything else. So I hope we've helped you. Let me know what you think. Let me know how you think we're doing with all this. Until next time, God bless.